0: everything you ever want. It's everything you've ever needed. And it's here, right in front of you, this is where I want to be. This is an amazing lyric from this movie, uh, The Greatest Showman, and this theme uh, just runs throughout the entire movie. Uh, Again, if you're a guest with us today, uh, we do this thing uh, for one month during the summer called At The Movies. And we look at big Hollywood blockbuster movies, and we look at the biblical truth that's hidden within these movies to help us learn more about the kingdom of God, to help us learn more what does it mean to be a Christian in the world that we live in today, using these movies as kind of a backdrop for what we're talking about. Now, I kind of have this thing with my kids. They're convinced there's no way I'm going to get through this sermon without singing. (laughs) My son was like, "Oh, I'm so glad I'm serving in kids Zone today, so I don't have to listen to you <laughs> sing this song. You've been singing this song constantly ever since you've seen this movie. It's kind of starting to drive everybody crazy. So I figured I'd do the jacket, and we'll see see if I can get through it without singing today. Okay? If I do, sing, don't let my son know, because then I probably have to give him money or something. All right? But this this theme of it's everything you've ever wanted." It's everything you've ever needed. It's here right in front of you. This is where I want to be. Today I want to talk about contentment. I want to talk about this idea of the lives that you and I are living. Whether we're in school, whether we're a stay at home parent, whether we have a job, or whatever, wherever we find ourselves in life right now, you and I live in a culture today which doesn't seem to be content in any way, where we pursue and we pursue and we pursue and we pursue, trying to fill this longing that's in our hearts for contentment, and we're never able to seem to find it for some reason. It's here right in front of you. True contentment is here right in front of you, and this is where you got to be to learn more about it. So I want to look at this fictional story about P.T. Barnum. If you saw the movie The Greatest Showman and you think it's historically accurate, it's not even close. Not even close. This is a glorified Hollywood, beautified version of the life of P.T. Barnum. Uh, P.T. Barnum was a crook, was a bit of a scoundrel, wasn't a very nice guy. But Hugh Jackman, man, everyone just loves Hugh Jackman. And he just <laughs> brings out this beauty of this character, you know, even though in real life he may not have always been the most honest of people. But P. T. Barnum grew up in the 1800s, in a time when the U.S. economy had just crashed, when there was still kind of the upper British class elite. And P. T. Barnum grew up in a poor man's home. His father was a tailor, and so he would help his father make suits for the rich. So he was always close to the rich people, but never a part of it, never included, always seen as a servant and as a slave, being seen as being no good, being seen as being worthless. So P.G. Barnum just had this longing in his heart that started from a very young age that he wanted more. He wasn't satisfied with where life was at. sadly, his father gets sick and passes away, and P.T. Barnum finds himself living on the streets, having to fend for himself. And there's this new, crazy uh, invention that's come to the United States called the railroad. (laughs) It's kind of hard to imagine that that's like this new technology, right? The train. And so he gets a job in a company working on building the railroad, the Great American Railroad. So he starts making a life for himself that way. (laughs) And so he comes back to his hometown, and he goes to his childhood crush, a girl named Charity. He takes her away from her rich family and marries her. And they have a couple of daughters. And P.T. Barnaby, he's a dreamer. He's a schemer. He's always trying to find what's next, what's bigger, what's out there. How can I get more of that? But yet his wife and daughter, his two daughters, they're completely satisfied With the life that they have We have everything we've ever wanted We have everything we've ever needed It's all right here in front of us This is where we want to be But P.T. Barnum can't see it Because his heart is gripped by something else A desire for more He's gripped with a complete and total lack of contentment Have you ever found yourself at some point in your life wrestling with contentment? Preach it, brother. (laughs) Maybe your relationships aren't as good as you would have liked them to be. Maybe the education, the job that you had always thought you would have, you don't have it. Maybe it's the life that you thought you would be living by now, and you're not living that life Maybe it's even in ministry, in your leadership at the church, the role you play in the church. We can easily be gripped by a lack of contentment. And what's fascinating is you think about your life, just like I've been thinking about my life this past week, prepping for today's message. We can all find these times when we've really struggled with just being content with what we have right in front of us. And we could think, well, this is a new modern-day problem. The reason that there's such a lack of contentment in our world today, I just look at the way we do advertising today. Look at social media. We always see the best and the brightest of everyone else's life. So obviously that's why modern-day people are struggling with contentment. But it's actually not a modern-day problem. It's a human problem. It's not a modern-day problem. It's a human problem. Contentment, or the lack of contentment, is a spiritual problem that humanity has had since the day we left the Garden of Eden. We have, since sin came into the world, when we were separated from the fullness of God, the full presence of God, contentment, discontentment, the lack of contentment, has crept into every human heart. And there's a great book in the Old Testament called Ecclesiastes. If you're not familiar with this part of the Old Testament, this was written by a guy named Solomon. Now Solomon was the king of Israel. He was the son of King David. And he was granted by God, what would you want more than anything else? In the whole world, what do you want? And Solomon said, I want wisdom. I want wisdom. And people from all over the world would come and have an audience with Solomon because he was known as the wisest man in the world. And so he wrote this book of Ecclesiastes, and he has this wonderful section, and multiple sections, where he talks about humanity's lack of contentment. So I want to look at three different areas where you and I lack contentment in our life. I want to talk about material possessions. I want to talk about our work. And I want to talk about money today. I want to look, and using this story of the greatest showman in the life of P.T. Barnum, how we can relate to where he's at. And hopefully you and I can find the solution together for how we can truly deal with our lack of contentment. But The first part that I want to look at is the idea of finding contentment in material possessions. If you have a Bible with you, I'm going to read from Ecclesiastes chapter 2. You can use the church app. The Bible verses are in there. You can follow along. You can follow along in the screen. Or, again, if you're a guest today and you don't own a Bible, in the chair in front of you is a Bible that is our gift to you. You can keep it, bring it home with you. If you are watching this online and you don't have a Bible, just download the church app. There's a big button there that says Download Bible, and you can get a free Bible on your mobile phone. We are big believers that every single family should own a Bible, so we want to make sure everyone has one. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, this is written by the wisest man who's ever lived. <laughs> this is what he says. He says, I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. Basically, what he's saying here is like, okay, there's something going on in my heart, so I'm going to test my heart. <laughs> Let's test this human heart of mine. That, but that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I like that little added note. Here's getting drunk and embracing folly. folly. But I was still still wise while I did it. (laughs) I remember my drinking days. I wasn't all that wise back then. (laughs) I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. And a harem as well. Okay, we don't always follow every word in the Bible, but anyways, okay. The delights of the heart of man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all of this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. Yet... When I surveyed all that my hands had done, and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. These are some pretty sobering (coughs) words from this great wise king. He's writing this to his children. To pass on the wisdom that he's received from God so that they too would live a life of wisdom, of following God. And he talks here about their material possessions. All of the things that you can have in this world. All of the things that are available to you. He says, you know, Solomon says in here that he denied himself nothing. Nothing. Now, he had the financial means to deny himself nothing. (laughs) You and I may have to deny ourselves a few things simply because the credit card has been maxed out and we can't buy anything else. (laughs) But he lived a life of denying himself nothing. Everything I could see that I want, I got it. And even in that pursuit, Solomon says, My heart's empty. It's meaningless. It didn't help. It didn't grant me this peace or this contentment that I was looking for. You see, P.T. Barnum is struggling from the exact same thing. Because he grew up in a poor man's home, and he was working with his father who was a tailor, he was always in the home of the rich. He could see how they lived. The mansions, the vineyards, the horses, the carriages, the the servants, the respect that came with that position. But then he had to go back home and live in a shack. Or after when his father died, live on the streets. (laughs) While knowing that there's so much more out there that he wants. He wants that house, he wants that carriage. He wants those horses. He wants that clothes. He wants that top hat. I couldn't find a hat to go with the jacket, so that's why it's the best 50 bucks on Amazon I ever spent, Mm -hmm. by the way. So we'll see if I ever wear this thing again, (laughs) okay? But it's just his eyes constantly looking out at all of these possessions. I want it. 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 Has that ever happened to you? where there's just something about the material possessions that we see all around us. I remember a a story, a friend of mine who uh, bought a new car. This was a non-Christian friend of mine who makes a lot of money. And he bought a really nice car, a really expensive car. Like one of those cars that if I were to walk onto the lot and say I'm interested... They, like, pull up my records and just all laugh, right? It's just one of those kind of cars. I will never own one of those cars apart, apart from some miracle of God, okay? But my buddy has one. And the day he went and picked it up and pulls out of the lot, it's a 15-minute car ride home, one block from home, totals it. Totals it. You see, everything that you and I own has a destiny. Everything we own has a destiny. And its destiny is the dump, a garage sale, or a value village. <laughs> Think about it. Everything that you have ever owned in this world, from the time you were a child, where is it today? Some of you might be saying, in a box in my storage. <laughs> Because I'm a little bit of a hoarder. <laughs> Don't look in the secret corners of my house. There's a lot of boxes all over the place that I'm trying to deal with, right? But Everything you have ever owned in your life has a, it has a destiny. A dump, a garage sale, value village. There's no other option. Maybe the occasional heirloom that you pass on to someone else in your family And then they send it to the dump, to the garage sale, or to value village. That's just the way it works. So that that thing that was so meaningful to your great grandmother, you're like, what is this piece of garbage? Gone. Like it just doesn't hold the same emotional value after a while. Right? What is it about the human heart, the human eyes, that we just cannot be content with what we have? We can't be content with what we have. (laughs) This longing, this looking. This desire for more. So what King Solomon talks about and P. T. Barnum, we see him struggling with that in this movie. All right, the second area that we see uh, Solomon talks about is finding contentment in our work. Finding contentment in our work. Just gonna flip the page over here to Ecclesiastes chapter four, and I'm start reading here in verse four. King Solomon writes, he says, And I saw that all labor. And all achievement springs from man's envy of his neighbor. This, too, is meaningless. A chasing after the wind. The fool folds his hands and ruins himself. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Solomon talking here about we work and we work and we work and we strive and we push Sometimes at the expense of the people who are closest to us. Sometimes at the expense of the people who love us the most. And Solomon looks at that and says, it's meaningless. It's meaningless. Two summers ago, um, I had lunch with a former boss of mine. Uh, Before I went into pastoral ministry, I used to work as a computer consultant. spent about 13, 14 years working in the computer industry. I was incredibly blessed with that career. I was like the cutting edge of new technology and all the new toys that were coming out in the 90s. It was a great time to work in the computer industry. Well, two summers ago, I drove down to Montreal, got together with my old boss, and we were catching, catching up over a over lunch together. We spent an afternoon together just reminiscing about the glory days of all the work that we had done as consultants in this company that we worked for. And I was asking him, oh, yeah, so remember that big, huge project that we had done? We did this project called Maestro. Kind of appropriate today, okay? It was this big project with a client management database system. This big, huge thing. We, I traveled all around the world to implement it. I implemented it in Tokyo and in uh, Korea and in the UK. We got to travel everywhere implementing this Maestro software. I was like, dude, how's Maestro doing? Like, where's that at today? What new features have you put into that? He's like, oh, dude, we turned that off. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We upgraded the software. We went with a different provider, and that, that's gone. We bought something new.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Do you know how many hours I put into making Maestro? <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. There were weeks where I did 80 to 90 hours of week, uh, uh, work a week. Where I, Danielle was home with new babies, and I was working like a dog. Because this is going to solve the world's problems. (laughs) We're going to cure all of the bad conditions of mankind with our maestro client management software. (laughs) (laughs) Meaningless. (laughs) Meaningless. (laughs) I have met people who have served in ministry who have sacrificed their children on the altar of working in the church. Where it was all about the church. All about my role. Whether it's a pastor, or an elder, or small group leader, youth leader. I have met at every level of ministry people who have sacrificed the people closest to them. Because they just wanted more in their ministry. More in their ministry. More in their ministry. Only to have kids who walk away from it all because they look at their mom, they look at their dad and they say, that's what Jesus is all about I want nothing to do with it this pursuit, this pursuit in our work now there's nothing wrong with getting a good job there is nothing wrong with working hard there are a lot of verses in the Bible that talk about the importance of working hard and working, doing our work as unto God himself it's a spiritual act of worship but if you find yourself lacking contentment in your work what's next, what's next what's next, what's next you may have this spiritual problem of discontentment right? we see this in P.T. Barnum as well, like his show is now being called the greatest show on earth, he's got this great <coughs> circus with all the acts and he's selling out every single performance, yet it's not enough And the reason it's not enough is because this upper-crust elite, these rich people over here still think he's a joke. They think he's still just some con man, not worth anything. So when he sees an opportunity to enter their world, he sacrifices everything, over-finances the circus, puts big strains on his marriage and his relationship with his daughters just for this one opera singer, Jenny Lind, that he travels with across the U.S., Because maybe this will get me accepted by these people. Maybe this job will make me one of them. So we find discontentment in the material. We find discontentment in work. And finally, Solomon talks about we find discontentment with money. We find discontentment with money. I'm going to read here Ecclesiastes chapter 5, starting here in verse 10. Solomon writes, whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? The sheep of a laborer Sorry, the sleep of a laborer. Sleep, the sleep of a laborer. Should have brought my glasses. The laborer is sweet. Whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. I have seen grievous evil under the sun. Wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when he has a son, there's nothing left for him. Naked a man comes from his mother's womb, and so, as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. This too is a grievous evil. I love how Solomon reflects on money here. How he says, "You know, he who has, he who loves money, will never be satisfied. Whoever." T- loves money if the goal of money is to bring about our contentment you will never be satisfied the more you have the more work you have to do to maintain it you ever notice that? it's great I remember talking about this with, with my mom once about the cottage that they had they were so excited that they finally bought this cottage and she was like God, this cottage is a lot of work. You should come up on your vacation and help us at the cottage. Why do I want to go on my vacation to do more work? If you're watching, Mom, I love you. I'll see you next week on vacation. pretty <laughs> sure she's got work for me when I get there. The more you have, the more work it takes to maintain it. I have met people who have never enjoyed Their stuff. I have a buddy of mine who's got this beautiful hot tub, this beautiful backyard. I'm like, oh dude, we should have like a hot tub party at your place. We should get together, hang out, just be great. Yeah, 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 that'd be awesome, that'd be awesome, that'd be awesome. Six years later, I'm still waiting for that invitation. (laughs) There's no time. There's no time. There's no time to enjoy even the little things that we have. (laughs) We're pursuing more. We're pursuing more. It costs more. And Solomon calls this evil. It's fascinating that he switches to that kind of language when he talks about money and talk. I'm sorry, when he talks about possessions and he talks about work, he never calls that evil. But he makes the switch over to money and starts talking about our love for money. He calls it evil. And he calls it evil because the Bible teaches us that competitor number one for your heart, when it comes to this God who loves you, this God who created you, this God who wants to have a meaningful, close relationship with you, the number one competitor for your heart is money. Written all throughout the Bible, it's the biggest idol we have. And Solomon calls it evil. P.T. Barnum is struggling with exactly that lack of contentment. The money is never enough. I need more money. I need more money. I need to make more money than my father-in-law. I need to make more money than these people who used to mock me. I need to make more money than these people over here. Comparing himself to everybody else. Comparing himself to these upper-crust elitists. Not always the nicest people in the world, either. But he wants to be he's so desperate to be accepted by them that he will forget that he has already been given everything he ever wanted. Everything he ever needs. It's right here in front of you. This is where you want to be. Right? See, Barnum goes from having nothing to having everything back again to having nothing. The tour that he goes on with the opera singer goes bust because he almost steps into an inappropriate relationship with this opera singer that could have, would have just destroyed his reputation and his marriage. So she pulls out of the tour. He loses all of his money. The circus gets burnt to the ground by these protesters, this mob of people who didn't like the performers because they were freaks and oddities and they wanted to drive them away because they didn't fit in. He's lost everything. His wife leaves him. His daughters leaves him. The circus leaves him. His money is gone. Everything that he pursued, gone. It's a human problem. And Barnum needs to do some big heart work to figure out the solution. So why do we lack contentment? Why do we lack contentment in our possessions, in our work, in our money? Why do we lack contentment in these things? Well, the Bible actually gives us the answer to that. It's because you and I are trying to find our contentment in the things of the world. Like the things of the world, like our possessions, which we know has an eternal destiny of the dump, the garage sale, or value village... (laughs) Of our, our, our the things of the world of our careers which the day after you retire the people who treated you like the most important person will not call you back. I've had this conversation with so many people who've retired who are at the top of their game and everyone thought that they were the most important person the day after retirement no one ever called them again. it's temporary or our money. It's a thing of the world. You were born with nothing. You leave this world with nothing. We can't bring it with us. Even though a lot of religions around the world have tried. Please put me in this tomb with all my stuff. So I can be buried with it. Right? These are things of the world. And the Apostle John addresses the church. And he gives the answer to why you and I have a lack of contentment. And he says this in one of his letters that he wrote to the church. He said, For everything in the world, everything in the world, you know, material possessions, our work, money, all the things in the world, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. You see, you and I struggle with the lust of the flesh. We want more. Our flesh just craves it. It craves that attention from our colleagues. It, cra- it, it, it craves that desire that we think that car or that home or that gadget will buy. <coughs> the lust of our eyes. We see it. We see it. We see it. We're wrong with seeing it. We want it. I want it. I want it. The pride of life. We need to look like him. We need to look like her. got to keep up with the Joneses. Everybody has one. You're a nobody unless you dress this way or wear these shoes or have this phone. <laughs> right? We struggle with the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. And those three things don't come from God. They come from the lies of this world. And that's why contentment is a spiritual problem. A lack of contentment is a spiritual problem. Now, there's nothing in the movie or in the life of P.T. Barnum that said that he turned his life over to Jesus, and that's why he managed to get rid of his lack of contentment. Again, this is a Hollywood movie. Read a book on the man's real life. It didn't end well. That pursuit for more, that pursuit for more, that pursuit for more, very rarely ends well. No one on their deathbed says, I wish I spent more time at the office. I wish I had a little bit more money. It's always, I wish I spent more time with my family. I wish I would have taken that weekend off. I wish I would have brought my kids fishing. What's here? Right in front of us. Now, there's nothing wrong with dreaming. There's nothing wrong with desiring more. But the trick for you and I is to ensure it's not coming from the lust of the eyes. It's not coming from the lust of the flesh. It's not coming from the pride of life. And it's not just in work and money, it's also in ministry. Yeah, I have struggled with this, looking at the church down the road, looking at that church online. Why do they get to? Why do they get to? Why can't I? be a part of it can creep into all of us this lack of contentment right? And so kind of the big idea that I want all of us to remember as we leave here today singing all these songs <laughs> the big idea today is this is pursue God's dreams and stay focused on Him you see God has huge dreams for your life God has huge dreams for His church and when we stay focused on his dreams, his desires, the other stuff sometimes comes, but they're not the goal. Right? Jesus, with his followers, he said, Seek first the kingdom of God, and then these other things will be given to you. Seek first the kingdom of God. To live a godly life that has an impact in your family and your kids and your grandkids and your neighborhood in your church, in your community, in your workplace, in your school. When people see you, do they see someone who loves God? Or do they see someone who's just pursuing the things of this world? That's what Jesus means when we put first the kingdom of God. See, the beauty of the kingdom of God is Jesus didn't say the kingdom of God is a future thing. I think so many of us as Christians and so many of us in the North American church, we kind of like our relationship with Jesus. We settle for a mediocre mediocre, mediocre mediocre, relationship with Jesus where there's no power, where there's no victory. We keep living in sin. We keep dealing with the same garbage in our lives that we've been dealing with for the last 20 years of our faith. Because <laughs> it's just a future thing. Well, but at least I'm going to heaven. But Jesus said the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is now. Mm -hmm. From now on, these eyes will not be blinded by the light. From now on, what's waited for tomorrow starts tonight. It starts tonight! (laughs) I'm getting goosebumps in the back of my neck. Connor's like, don't sing, don't sing, don't sing. I'm fighting it hard, I'm fighting it hard, Sam. I'm fighting it! That lyric is so powerful. From now on, my eyes will not be blinded by the things of the world. From now on, what is waited for tomorrow starts tonight. Amen. It starts tonight. That, that person that I've been too afraid to share my faith in Jesus with for the last 20 years, Amen. it starts tonight. Yes. Tonight yes. I do it. <laughs> I'm not going to wait till tomorrow anymore. You know, I've been living for myself. No, I'm going to start volunteering. I'm going to start giving my life back to serve other people. It starts tonight. If you are gripped by the love of money, God gave us something incredibly powerful called the tithe. Give away your money. <laughs> what? <laughs> and if you think it's because I want it, give it somewhere else. Break yourself from the love of money. Tithe, 10%. Start tonight. Start tonight. <laughs> Why are we waiting for tomorrow? Why are we waiting for tomorrow when it comes to these things? Church, rise up and start tonight. That's what God wants for us. That's what God wants for you. He doesn't want us to give into the the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. He doesn't want us to give into the pride of life. There is true contentment in Jesus. These aren't just Christian words. (laughs) But it's Truth. (laughs) When we keep our eyes focused on Him. I love what um, Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. We need to train our minds and our hearts to focus on the things of God. Not on the things of the world. The things of the world. And when we do that, we're truly set free. We're truly set free. It's everything you ever want. It's everything you ever need. And the love of God is right here in front of you. This is where we ought to be. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father God, we are so grateful that we can come to this place and learn more about your great love for us a love that we didn't deserve a love that we didn't earn but you freely gave it when Jesus came when he came and lived a sinless life pointing us to your kingdom pointing us to who who God is and then he was willing to die for us you showed your great love for us that way and that love is everything we need That love changed us. It changes the world. And Father God, forgive us for the times when we have not been content with what you have given us. Forgive us for the times, forgive me for the times when I've wanted more. I've wanted more. I've wanted more. Not because that was your plan, but because that was my plan. That was our plan. God, help us free us from the power of the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life (laughs) so that we could truly be content in what you've given us the mission you've called us to the family that you've placed us in the resources that we have we are blessed (laughs) let us find our contentment in that just with kind of with every head bow and no one else looking I I just want you to know um, how much you are loved by us here at this church and how much God loves you And if you're here today, or if you're watching this online, and you would say, like, this contentment, um, I don't have it. (laughs) I am pursuing and pursuing and pursuing, and I just seem to be lost and struggling. Um, I was living that way. When I was a computer consultant, I was pursuing and pursuing and pursuing everything that the world had to offer. I had all the money, all the power, all the prestige that my career could bring me. (sighs) And it just wasn't enough. I just needed more and I want you to know that you can have full and complete contentment not by what you have and not by what you get but by our relationship that we have with God and I know it sounds hokey I know it sounds hokey it sounded hokey to me when I heard it in my 20s but I'm standing here in my 40s as a testimony to the truth of that it's not just some hokey religious words but Jesus truly is everything. And contentment comes from him and him alone. And you can have that kind of relationship with him really easily. The Bible says you just need to believe in your heart that he is the Son of God. You just need to thank him that he was willing to die for your sin. And then you just confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. The Bible says when you do that, you are made new. That Spirit of God comes in you. And you can find freedom from the pride of life, the lust of the eyes, and the lust of the flesh. Not through your power, but by the power of Jesus working in you. So if anyone here today wants to pray that, or anyone watching online, I would love to talk to you after the service about that. To see you begin that new life. of Finding true freedom from this discontentment that we have in the world. And finding true contentment in God maybe you've made that decision to follow Jesus but you're still struggling with that contentment that's why we want every single person who's a part of our church to be known by a few others right? no one was meant to do this Christian life by themselves You know, during the summertime, a lot of our life groups take a break but they're going to be starting up again in, in the fall and I would encourage you right now start praying about what group you can join finding a few other men and women that you can do life with that will pray for you, who will walk with you, who will guide you, mentor you, to help see you break free from the snare of discontentment in your life. If God truly wants more. God truly wants more. He truly does. It's everything you've ever wanted, it's found in Jesus. It's everything you've ever needed, it's found in Jesus. And it's here, right in front of you. This is where you need to